Well, hello there, and welcome to the Exam Room Podcast, brought to you by the Physicians Committee. Hi, I am the weight loss champion, Chuck Carroll. Thanks for giving the show a listen this week, a download, a view. Maybe you're on YouTube. Wherever it is that you are, we appreciate that you are here. So here's the question for the show this week. Can your furry friend be vegan? Can that pup be plant-based? What about the cat? There is a lot of debate about this. Some say, yes, absolutely, dogs and cats can be vegans. Because just like humans, they can get adequate nutrition without ever eating meat or dairy. But then others say, absolutely not. And it's as simple as this. A dog is derived from a wolf, and a wolf eats meat. Therefore, a dog cannot possibly live exclusively on plants. So what's the truth? Today, we're going to be diving into that and seeing if we can get a firm answer as we welcome Dr. Armighty May to the exam room. She's a veterinarian based in Los Angeles who has been studying this extensively for years now. She's going to be giving us the ins and outs of animal nutrition. And one of the first things that you're going to be hearing from her is that the requirements from dogs and cats are quite different. Obviously, we're talking about two completely different animals here. Here's the thing. A dog and a cat, they're quite different, which means that what works for one won't necessarily work for the other. Again, seems like common sense, but you have to remember that so many of us actually have both a dog and a cat. And for most caregivers, it's as simple as opening a bag of this food or a can of that food and then just forgetting about it. We buy it off of store shelves, put it into a bowl, and then never give it a second thought. So we're going to be exploring those nutritional differences here on the show today. Now, a hypothetical question for you. If a dog or a cat can be vegan, how would you go about setting it up? How would you go about getting that going? Dr. May is going to be here with that answer for us as well. But we're not stopping there. We're going to keep on digging. We're going to explore the various contaminants then that are found in some of the more common pet foods and how harmful those contaminants can actually be to animals. So what should we be looking for on those ingredients labels? Then we're going to look at the things that we can do to help an animal who is prone to having, say, heart disease. Obviously, on this show, for many times, we have explored how a plant-based diet can help someone with atherosclerosis, right? Works well in humans, but what about with animals? Do the same principles hold true? It's a fun topic to explore, and we're going to do just that. A lot to get into with Dr. May, and I think you're really going to enjoy it all. Some fascinating stuff, and certainly she is not shy about telling us where additional research is still needed. Not going to make any great leaps here, just based on the science that we know today. And then my friend, we're going to have ourselves a little bit of fun. I took the exam room on the road down to my local vet's office, Dr. Mark Liberto, and I asked him what fruits and vegetables are safe for dogs and cats and which ones should they be avoiding. Some tricky ones were on the list. And the funny thing is, when I was putting that list together, I didn't even realize that they were tricky. Then we took those answers from Dr. Liberto, and I put some people, some of my colleagues here at the Physicians Committee, right on the hot seat. Put them square under the hot lights, and I grilled them. I wanted to know how much they know about the do's and don'ts of produce when it comes to pups and kittens. We're talking about everything from apples to mushrooms to watermelon, oranges and mangoes. Tons and tons of stuff on there, all put together in a fun little quiz, and I even 
I even rounded up my wife for this. See how much she knows about what we can give our Beagle Rudy from the CRISPR. But we start first with Dr. Almighty May now joining me via Skype. And if you pay close attention, you might just nail the quiz a little later. Continuing here on the Exam Room Podcast, brought to you by the Physicians Committee with the weight loss champion, Chuck Carroll. I cannot tell you how excited I am for this next guest because this is a topic that people have been clamoring for ever since we started doing this show. And it's one that there actually seems to be quite a bit of controversy around. If you ever post anything about whether a dog or a cat can go on a vegan diet on Facebook, be prepared you will receive dozens and dozens and dozens and dozens of comments. And so with that, to help us break the code, can our animal companions be vegan? We welcome to the show, Dr. Armighty May. Welcome to the show. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. You know, when I was uh, asking, I was like, who should I talk to for this? They said, Dr. May (laughs) is the vegan vet. That's who you need to speak to. So I just can't thank you enough for taking the time. You're welcome. First question for you is the simple one, and I guess it's the big one. Simply put, can a dog or a cat healthfully be on a vegan diet? Dogs are omnivores, so they can definitely be healthy on a nutritionally complete and balanced plant-based diet or vegan diet. Cats, although they are obligate carnivores technically, can also have their nutrient requirements met through plant, mineral, and synthetic sources as long as they're Overall health is monitored, including their body weight and urinary tract health, especially with regard to male cats in particular. They can indeed be healthy on vegan diets as well, but cats are definitely trickier than dogs. Critics uh, will be quick to say, and I'm sure that you've heard this a ton, they, they will simply say, dogs evolved from wolves, cats evolved from lions or tigers, and simply put, wolves and tigers They eat meat. Thus, a dog or a cat must eat meat. But what you're saying is that's not necessarily true. Yes. In fact, there's a true story of a vegetarian lioness, wasn't vegan, but vegetarian, who actually refused to eat any meat or even anything that had a drop of blood in it. Her name was Little Tyke. But anyway, not to go off on a tangent, but the the fact of the matter is that domesticated house cats who live in our homes and receive veterinary care, get spayed and neutered, have their every need catered to, they're not living in the wild the way their feral counterparts are. They get their meals accounted for by humans. And so it really isn't a matter of what's natural as much as what's healthy. Mm -hmm. And now we're seeing studies which show and of course, what's sustainable and what's kind. I mean, those are important questions to to ponder when we're making decisions about what we're feeding our animal companions. And we've seen studies that have shown increased incidences of cancers in both dogs and cats, which are attributed partially to their diet because of all the toxins that are in the meat-based foods. So we really want to think about what it is that we're feeding, not necessarily how, quote-unquote, natural it is. And it really isn't natural to keep a cat in your home, give him or her veterinary care, et cetera, anyway. So we need to kind of reframe that discussion, in my opinion, and come back to what's actually healthy, environmentally sustainable, and the best choice we can make for all animals, not just 
our furry companions because there are a lot of animals out there who are suffering, you know, to the tune of $70 billion billion animals a year. Um, and, it, you know, it's, of course, a, a multi-billion dollar industry as well that supports that, that it is destroying our planet. It's making it harder to have fresh water available. Uh, with regard to the health aspect, again, there are significant concerns with what ingredients go into commercial meat-based pet food for dogs and cats. We're talking about slaughterhouse rejects, what are called the 4D meat, dead, dying, disabled, diseased meat that gets into the pet food chain, oftentimes is not fit for human consumption. Now, even if someone is feeding an organic premium meat food to their animal, don't be allayed of any concerns about what could be going into that as well, because as vegans, we know that meat also contains bioaccumulated toxins, such as arsenic, which is found in 70% of the chicken in the United States now. It is considered a group one carcinogen by the World Health Organization, and we have other sorts of toxins like dioxins and PCBs, DDTs, that are, even if they're banned, they've bioaccumulated in flesh tissue as it goes up the food chain. Right. So we we have to be aware of that. They're called persistent organic pollutants. Uh, we also see uh, mercury in the seafood, and a lot of cats are big fish eaters, even though naturally in the wild they wouldn't be eating fish. But that's that's what a lot of cats do eat, and they are getting an extremely high dose of mercury for their small body weights and probably some health problems because of it. And I think that there was a study released maybe in 2011 that looked specifically at the mercury levels found in some of these foods or, or, or uh, that are uh, found in dogs and cats because of the food that, that they're eating. Do you recall this, this particular study and, and what they found? Yeah, there was a study of heavy metals in pet foods reported in Spectroscopy magazine in January of 2011. It compared 31 dry and 27 wet dog and cat foods, ranging from bargain products to high-end ones, and found the average dry dog food had alarmingly high levels of mercury, over 120 times the reference dosage limit established as a guideline for humans by the EPA as well as levels of vanadium, uranium, cadmium, and thallium, which greatly exceeded reference dosage limit guidelines. So definitely a big concern for our furry friends. And I think just a few years earlier, there was another study that looked at a number of different contaminants that were found uh, in dogs and in cats. And they also found that a lot of these levels were much higher than they would be uh, in humans. I mean, how, how much higher are we talking about? Absolutely. So that was uh, an environmental working group study in 2008, which reported pooled blood and urine samples from 20 dogs and 37 cats at a veterinary clinic in Virginia and found them contaminated with 48 out of 70 industrial chemicals, which were tested. 43 were at levels substantially higher than found in people according to CDC and Environmental Working Group guidelines. And they also included plastics, food packaging, chemicals, heavy metals, fire retardants, which we know is linked to hyperthyroidism in cats, for example, stain-proofing chemicals, a lot of chemicals that are toxic to the reproductive system, that are neurotoxic. Many of them were carcinogens. 
and about 20% of those chemicals average at least five times higher than found in people. Mm. So very significant for, for these animals that are eating food that we're just giving to them, and they don't have another option unless we provide it. So I think we need to kind of reframe this whole discussion back to what is healthy. And when we're feeding a plant-based diet that's lower on the food chain, and they're getting their nutrient requirements fulfilled, that is the important thing. And they don't have ingredient requirements. They have nutrient requirements, which means those nutrient requirements can be fulfilled from plant, mineral, and synthetic sources. Uh, So when you talk about contaminant levels being five times higher than in humans, I kind of popped into my head. So now I'm wondering, most animals weigh less than humans, at least the ones that we, you know, have as, as companions. If their levels are five times higher than what is found in humans, is that even more dangerous? Because if those levels are the same at a body weight that's maybe a quarter, say, of what we weigh, is that then even more dangerous to the animal? Well, it's per unit volume, you know, according to their weight that it's measured, but it's still five times higher or however many times based on the particular chemical in question that was noticed. So that is definitely concerning. I mean, it's like, you know, if a person eats a fish, there's a certain level of mercury involved in that ingestion of fish. Uh, if, if a cat eats a similar amount of fish, they're getting a much higher dose of mercury because they're tinier animals. So just like, you know, if someone smokes, which is really harmful to not only human, but animal health, they can be more prone to getting asthma, for example. And they're low to the ground, too. They're often by the furniture where a lot of the dust and particulates settle. So they're getting an even higher dose than, say, you know, a person who's walking up higher, you know, and not as potentially exposed for as long of a period of time. I want to go back and I want to ask you specifically about cancer. That's something that obviously is very prevalent in humans, but also very, very, very prevalent uh, among animals. I, you know, I'd be surprised if there wasn't an animal, uh, someone who had an animal companion who previously didn't lose that animal to a form of cancer. It's, it's just a thing. A lot of studies have been done and show a positive correlation between meat consumption and cancer in humans. Can we say the same about dogs and cats? We still have yet to perform longitudinal studies comparing health outcomes over a long period of time between dogs and cats. What we do know is there is science to support the nutritional adequacy of the plant-based diets. Um, There was a study in 2009 uh, conducted on experimental uh, sprint racing sled dogs uh, regarding them eating a meat-free diet for six weeks, and they showed no change in their ability to exercise, their complete blood count or CBC, you know, red cell count, et cetera, were on par with normal levels eating the the meat-free diet. So we do know that it's nutritionally adequate, you know, provided that it meets their needs, but it's still yet to be determined what the long-term consequences are of uh, vegan versus uh, meat-based diet in terms of comparing the cancer outcomes. I do know that in general, anecdotally, I've um, encountered fewer cases of cancer in my canine patients who are plant-based compared to the meat-based patients 
that I see. Um, so, you know, there's some anecdotal evidence, but we are in the process of starting a study, actually, well, Dr. Mel Garejo, who is a veterinarian and PhD scientist at Western University College of Veterinary Medicine that's in Southern California, is, a, is studying the health between dogs on plant-based versus meat-based diets and following them over four to six months. It's quite expensive to even do a study of that length, especially if you're measuring their blood and urine on a consistent, regular basis, which is really what is, is needed to really put it in the scientific literature and convince the academics of this, uh, even though we've known for many years that dogs can be sustained on plant-based diets because even prescription veterinary diets have vegan formulas that are for dogs who have allergies to meat proteins, such as beef and chicken allergies. So it's just part of it is the challenging the status quo, challenging the whole notion of dogs um, being, you know, carnivores that uh, it, it takes a while to kind of break through some of those social constructs and barriers, which people kind of resist that whole idea. So I think once more funding is obtained to do more of these longitudinal studies, then we'll be able to get, come back with you know more definitive science. Among your colleagues, I'm curious, how is the idea of a plant-based diet for dogs, for cats, generally received? For human medicine, we see more and more physicians opening up their minds and, and looking into the research and what we know about that and seeing really positive results. How is it viewed in the veterinary community? I think it's slowly gaining acceptance. It's definitely gaining acceptance amongst pet guardians, I would say. And there was actually a study just recently released reporting attitudes of guardians, or they call them owners, but I use the term guardian to describe the, the caregiver and they actually reported like over 25% are actually interested in feeding their animals a plant-based diet, even if they themselves are not vegan, because they're understanding all the toxins. I mean, there have been so many recalls, too, in meat-based pet foods over the years. Back in 2007, there was a recall because of melamine contamination from China, which caused hundreds of dogs and cats to fall ill with kidney disease, and, and many of them died. And so people became very skeptical of standard diets because of that. And, you know, some people went off towards the raw diet, which I don't advocate. For one thing, raw meat, that would be uh, risky for contamination with bacteria like Salmonella and E. coli, which if humans handle it too, they can get very sick. So I don't advocate that, not only that from a sustainability standpoint and, you know, animal cruelty as well, but even from the toxin standpoint because of, how much more meat is given with the raw diets. Sometimes um, people will home cook too. And there's a, a book out by Dr. Richard Pitcairn, who's a veterinarian and wrote a book called The Complete Guide to Natural Health for Dogs and Cats. And the fourth edition of his book, which just came out two years ago, has plant-based recipes for both dogs and cats. Well, I'm going to ask you about uh, some specific uh, ideas for a menu for, for dogs, for cats in just a second. But I, I also wanted to ask you if there is anything that guardians need to look out for if they do switch uh, their dog, their cat to a plant-based diet. Does that increase the risk of any adverse side effect? Very good question. 
since the plant-based diets are more alkalizing or alkalinizing than than uh, meat-based diets uh, in dogs and cats, uh, we want to look out for struvite crystals, also known as ammonium magnesium phosphate crystals, which can occur in the urine. There are certain breeds, Shih Tzus, miniature, pin, uh, miniature Schnauzers, uh, Bichon Frises, miniature Poodles, Cocker Spaniels, and Lhasa Apsos in particular in the dog realm who are more prone to those types of crystals. But those happen um, usually secondary to a urinary tract infection, and they can lead to stones if left untreated, which we don't want to have happen, of course. But generally, as long as those dogs have their urine checked consistently, and any urinary tract infection, UTI, is treated promptly, then they shouldn't develop crystals. Um, there can be rare cases where crystals develop if the pH is really elevated above, say, 7.5 or 8. You want it to be around 7 um, or lower, between 6 and 7 um, in dogs. In cats, around 6.5 or between 5.5 to 6.5 is ideal. So, Cats can also develop struvite crystals. They can develop them even if they don't have a urinary tract infection. So it's even more important if someone's trying to put their cat on a vegan diet to be monitoring the urine. I would recommend getting a baseline urine sample initially before switching over to the plant-based diet so you see where that animal's normal level is. And then a few weeks after switching, getting another test to check where it's at at that point. If there is a significant change or it's it's getting too, too alkaline, there are acidifiers such as methionine, which is a, an acidifying amino acid that can be added in to the food. There are also uh, vitamin C that can be added for an acidifying effect, but it's important to work with your veterinarian to get to the right dosage and make sure there's nothing else that's being missed. Now, I, I was just going to ask, um, sorry to cut you off, I was going to ask also about heart disease. What about a breed that is at a generally increased risk of having heart disease? Is there any sort of supplementation that, that you would recommend at that point? What do we know about that? Well, for heart health, um, we want to make sure, first of all, that the diet is complete and balanced. And certain fad diets have become more popular such as grain-free diets, and those may not necessarily be a healthier option because grains such as corn, oats, and wheat have certain amino acids, methionine and cysteine, which are precursors to taurine, and taurine is an essential amino acid for heart health, and if, if dogs are eating diets that are, are not containing taurine and or low in grains, they could be prone to dilated cardiomyopathy, which is a form of heart disease. And certain breeds are more prone to it. Uh, giant breeds such as Boxers, Scottish Deerhounds, Irish Wolfhounds, Great Danes, St. Bernards, and Afghan Hounds, as well as Cocker Spaniels, who may be at risk for dilated cardiomyopathy. So if you have one of those dogs, pay particular attention to taurine being present in the food or, if need be, supplementing. And there's a, a website, uh, taurine Actually, it's carnitine-taurine.com, uh, which has the guidelines and where you can order both of those supplements, which you can get elsewhere as well. But the, the carnitine is also helpful when an animal is prone to dilated cardiomyopathy to maintain adequate heart health. And for cats, of course, they have to have taurine as well. And that's even more critical for cats, uh, whereas some dogs are better at making their own taurine than others. And they're still some exploration being done as to 
what factors are contributing to certain dogs having a difficult time making the touring versus others. Uh, but that, you know, that would be my recommendation, especially if you have one of those breeds. And I think that I mentioned uh, Doberman pinchers also are, are one of the breeds that you need to take care of with the prevention of DCM. Now, here's the question that I think everybody has been wondering since I first said hello to you. Um, and that is, you've mentioned the, the complete and well-balanced diet. What exactly does that look like? Let's start with dogs. What, what it, does that diet look like? What specific foods would you recommend? So for most people who have busy lives, they're not going to necessarily have time to cook. And if they want to get a, a nutritionally complete and balanced diet for their dogs, there are various companies, Natural Balance, Nature's Recipe, Pet Guard, Evolution, that have vegan formulas, V-Dog. And you can rely on those to be nutritionally complete if they have the stamp of the AFCO approval, which is the American Association of Feed Control Officials designating that the food meets nutritional requirements for that species. If, if that has a stamp of approval, that doesn't necessarily mean it's, it's a great diet, but at least it meets the minimum standards. Mm-hmm. Now, if you want to go to the next level and do your own home cooking, I would refer you to either the vegetariandogs.com website, which has a recipe book you can order, or Dr. Pitcairn's Complete Guide to Natural Health for Dogs and Cats, the fourth edition, which you can order online. And those go into the right proportions. I mean, they have to have at least a gram per pound of protein every day for dogs, and they need to have enough calories, and they need to have the right balance of micro and macronutrients. So it's it's something that is a little bit more involved, and certainly there can be variety of it, but basically the proportion would be, you know, more legumes or protein-rich foods and then some veggies and some grains to complement that. Uh, you don't want to give onions. A little bit of garlic is okay. It can actually have flea deterrent properties. So, but um, onions cause anemia, so you don't want to use those. Um, obviously, no chocolate. But yeah, I mean, basically, what you would cook for yourself, minus like any ex- intense spices that you know might be hard on their gastrointestinal system, and then. You can soak the beans. You can also blend them so they're easier to digest. And then there's a supplement that is available through CompassionCircle.com, which has the taurine and other nutrients they may not be getting, like vitamin D and B12, that is added in to the recipe you make at home. So you can experiment with different things. You can also add in some veggies to the kibble or moist food if if you want to do it that way because then they get a little bit of fresh food too and that's good so they you know get some more phytonutrients that way some people also use a product called green mush which i like it's um it's got a lot of like um green nutrients concentrated in a powder form and you can just like pour it on their on their food and they really like it usually so are there any particular vegetables, if somebody did want to mix that in with the kibble, any particular vegetables you would recommend? I'd like uh, green beans, carrots, potatoes, broccoli, spinach, and then for beans, um, lentils, because they're small and easy to digest. Or you could go with garbanzo beans if you mash them, aduki beans, pinto beans. Um, you can also do TVP, texturized vegetable protein tempeh, um, organic non-GMO tofu, 
So there are a lot of different options and just like a little pinch of salt, some cumin or coriander, some, you know, mild spices. Yeah, nothing crazy though. Yeah. <laughs> um so we we've covered dogs there. Let's wrap with cats. What uh, what would you recommend there? For cats, um, they like tofu. It has a really good balance of fat and protein for their system. Again, you do want to add in a supplement mix from CompassionCircle.com so it's complete and balanced. But as a snack to complement their existing food, which there are a few brands that offer uh, vegan formulas for cats or have exclusively vegan uh, diets for cats, which are Benevo, which I like a lot. I, I give that to my cats and you can order it online. It's a UK-based company, Benevo.com. And then there's Evolution from PetFoodShop.com and Omnicat, uh, which is an Italian company that has um, a kibble. So those are some options for the cats. It's um, you know still a little bit limited compared to what's available for dogs. But there, there are more and more options becoming available every day. Um, I also give coconut oil to my cats. They really like it, and it, it has natural antibacterial properties, too. So it helps even, like, as a substitute for toothpaste. You you really are just uh, the go-to person for this. I'm so happy that uh, we were able to have you on today. Oh, sure. Yeah, and, and for cats, too, I like to add in pumpkin because it helps with their gastrointestinal tract health, as well as for dogs. About a teaspoon of canned pumpkin and or peas and carrots, especially for cats who are a little on the heavier side, and having any issues with uh, elimination, it helps keep things moving smoothly and reduces the caloric density of the food so they don't eat as many calories per unit volume. Well, hopefully uh, our animal companions are not picky eaters. I know that my beagle certainly <laughs> is not. He will. He is indiscriminate. If it's on the floor, he will, he will take care of it in a second. So, yeah. uh, Dr. May, thank you so much. People can find you at veganvet.net. Is that right? That's that's right. Yes. And I do offer phone and email consultations or Skype consultations if people are not in the L.A. area. Uh, but my house call practice is devoted to primarily the L.A. area. Okay. So um, usually it's nice to have the opportunity to see the animal in person to really get a solid veterinary client patient relationship, be able to prescribe or diagnose or treat an animal. But if if they're just needing general advice, I can sometimes help with that, you know, without seeing them in person over the phone or through Skype. Outstanding. Dr. May, thank you so much. Uh, would you be open to coming on again in the future? Because I'm sure that we're going to get a lot of listener questions from this episode. Sure, I'd be happy to. Awesome. Dr. May, thank you so very much. Check her out, veganvet.net. One important note to make here, the views expressed by Dr. May are not those of the Physicians Committee. We encourage pet guardians to take this information and do with it what they feel is best for their animal companion. And that brings us to our next bit of business. Regardless of what you decide, there is no debate that our furry friends love fruits and veggies just as much as we do. But which ones can they eat? And which ones should they avoid? I went down to my local vet's office, Dr. Mark Liberto at Lake Forest Animal Hospital in Gaithersburg, Maryland. I went down there armed with a big long list of fruits and vegetables. And I said, hey, doc, can they eat this? 
And we worked our way down that big, long list of produce, worked our way from A to Z with Dr. Liberto giving the thumbs up or thumbs down for every last one of them. And what I thought was really interesting was that there are parts of foods that are okay, but then the other part of that same food, not so much. Easy example for you. Apples. The flesh of the apple is great. You can munch on it all day. But the core can leave the tummy sore. So after I spoke with him, I rounded up my co-workers, and one of the best parts about working here at the Physicians Committee is that we're not only allowed to bring our friends to work with us, we're encouraged to do so. No shortage of chihuahuas running around the office here, I'm telling you. And these tiny little things, man, they can put it away. This one little gal named Faye, I'm telling you, she weighs three pounds tops, but she can eat at least her weight in carrots and then keep right on going. The appetite on this little three-pound fur ball is just ridiculous. Uh, she also loves to hop right up on your desk or on the conference room table during a meeting and then make her voice be heard. She is not shy about speaking up at all. And so naturally, she wanted in on the quiz and kind of served as a consultant for her caregiver and Marie. Then we have Mimi's mom on the show as well, Dania. Uh, Mimi, she is another chihuahua and she's a chip off her mom's block. I got to tell you, uh, she has a flair and an eye for fashion. She is a sassy little thing. Uh, and then Dr. Neil Barnard's own assistant, Natalie Hardcastle, will also be checking in. Uh, fun fact, Natalie and I actually went to the same high school just a few years apart. And then last but not least, I could not possibly do this quiz without talking to the biggest animal lover that I know. And that is my wife, Julie. She will tell you that there is not a fruit or a veggie that our beagle Rudy does not like. He loves them all. And I'm telling you, if we let him loose in the grocery store, that produce section would be straight up ransacked. Ransacked, I said. Also a true story, my wife will actually bring Rudy with her right into the store. Does not care. Could not possibly care less. She just puts a blanket down in the cart and then pushes him up and down the aisles. So her thing, her argument is it actually kind of makes sense. It's not like he's actually running around and touching everything in the store. She says it's quite sanitary compared to you or I who will be touching every apple or pineapple, bunch of kale or carrots before we ever put them in the cart. But if that apple or kale doesn't pass our inspection, guess what? It goes right back onto the produce pile for the next person to touch. And God only knows where the last person touched what they touched before they touched the kale or the, the apple, you know? So it makes sense to me. What about you? Hmm? But what really makes me laugh about this whole thing, and, and I promise you we're going to get right to the quiz here, but what really makes me laugh about this entire situation is that nobody has ever said anything about her bringing him into the store. The only thing they ever say is, hey, can we meet your dog? It doesn't matter what kind of store it is. It could be a grocery store. It could be a Target or a beauty store. Rudy is just a hit. And you should see some of the pictures that she posts online of him when they're out and about on their little adventures. It is hysterical. The guy's a little rock star. 
<laughs> anyway, uh, it is time for us to put on our thinking caps. So we've got Anne-Marie, we've got Daniel, we've got Natalie, and we've got Julie all ready to go, ready to play the game. Can the dog, can the cat, can they eat that? Apples safe for dogs to eat. Apple. Yes, a dog can eat an apple. Totally safe. Yes. Yes. Slices of apples, fine. Tons of apple seeds. Could be a problem. Apple seeds contain cyanide. Asparagus. Hmm. Oh. I say safe. I'm going to say yes again. Hmm. I think that's fine. Yes, a dog can eat asparagus. Asparagus is pretty safe. Uh, once again, if they eat a whole basket of asparagus, we could get into trouble, but there's really not much in asparagus. Does it make their pee smell, too? It may, it may, but I have never had, as far as I know, a patient come in for asparagus eating, so that would be a new one. Avocado. Oh. I'm going to say yes. Oh, I've heard no. I've heard no about avocado. No. No, you cannot eat avocado. The dog cannot eat avocado. You can, but the dog cannot. Avocados can be a problem. They're really actually toxic for ruminants and horses. Um, Dogs and cats, rabbits, it would be a problem. But the biggest problem in dogs is that huge avocado pit. And if they ingest that, which is just enough to be able to swallow, it will get stuck and it will have to be removed surgically. This podcast is bananas, but can dogs eat them? Yes, for sure. Yes. Yes, a dog can eat banana. That has got to be a yes. Banana's pretty safe. Dogs seem to like a great potassium source, uh, lots of sugar. you got to watch the sugar content. It'll wire them, but not other than that's fine. Next up, blueberries. Ooh, a little tougher. Blueberries. They're small. They're blue. They're a fruit. Can a dog eat them? I'm going to say yes. Uh, hmm. I don't know if they can, but I know that they won't. Like, they don't know what to do with them. So, yes or no? I'm going to say no. Blueberries are great. Yes. Somebody's been studying. No studying, I just know. It's always great. Great antioxidants. Good for blueberries. Broccoli. I think it's a yes, but I know I don't give my dog much because it makes her gassy. So I wonder if because of the gas, she's actually not supposed to be eating them. But I can't I can't find fault. Ooh. I'm going to say no to broccoli. You should have trusted your gut. Oh, okay. Broccoli. Oh, my dog loves broccoli. Yes, the dog can eat broccoli. But it'll come back to haunt you later that night. Totally fine. Yes? Broccoli pretty much is okay. As long as they're not eating a ton of them, probably fine. Brussels sprouts. No. Brussels sprouts. Yes. The doggy can eat Brussels sprouts, but again, make sure he doesn't go to bed with you at night. Brussels sprouts are fine. Those cruciferous vegetables are a bit dangerous when it comes to flatulence. Are they technically safe to eat? They're safe. Pretty safe. I've once again never seen a dog got into Brussels sprouts and get into a problem. Um, I wouldn't want to eat about a hundred of them. It would make me sick. Back to fruits. Cantaloupe. Mm. 
Yeah, I think it's fine. Yes. Yes. Yes, a dog can eat cantaloupe. Cantaloupe is fine. Carrots. Yes, for sure. Yeah, my dog loves carrots. That's his little T-R-E-A-T. I have to spell it out because he's sitting right here looking at me. Yes. Carrots. Oh, yeah, of course. They love them. Carrots are fine. Celery. I think they could eat it. I don't think they would, unless it was dipped in hummus or peanut butter. But I think it's allowed. Um, no. I think it could be dangerous because of the strings. They might not chew it. So it's okay. I'm going to need a final answer Yes, here. yes, they're fine. Celery's okay. Celery, fine. Cherries. No. Cherries. Yes, the dog can eat cherries, but not the pits. Yeah, I think that's fine. Cherries, the pits have cyanide, um, so that could be a problem. They can also get stuck, but uh, if they're smart enough to spit the pit out, they can have all the cherries they want. Cranberries. Fresh cranberries? I'm going to say yes. Uh, I'm not feeling good about cranberries. I'm going to say no to cranberries. Cranberries. Yes. Cranberries are good. Cucumbers. Yes, fine. Totally fine. Yeah. Yes, the dog can eat cucumbers. I think cucumbers are safe. Grapes. No, dogs can't eat grapes. Something about the skin. It doesn't digest or something. But no, they can't eat grapes. Or raisins. Big no. Grapes. No. Oh, that's a firm no. Mm -hmm. I like that. I know my nose. That's right. (laughs) No. That's the worst. The worst of the worst are grapes and, of course, raisins, which are concentrated material as a shrunken grape. Um, It contains products that actually cause kidney failure. And it's no kidding. It really, truly causes kidney failure. We've had patients actually die from it, so from eating large amounts of it. The raisins are much more dangerous because they're so much more concentrated. But do not feed your dog or your cat. Cats are more sensitive. uh, Anything in the way of grapes or raisins. Any style. Green beans. Yes. Totally fine. Oh, yes. Green beans, frozen or cooked. Green beans are fine. Actually, frozen green beans, great treat for reducing weight in dogs. Mango. Mango and tango. Fine. I'm going to say yes. We don't see a big problem with it. Mushrooms. Any variety. Uh, yeah. Um, I'm going to say they're fine. Mushrooms. No. It's a fungus. It's weird that we can eat it, but doggies can. Yeah, mushrooms can be very, very dangerous. So there's some wild mushrooms that literally will kill you. They're completely toxic. If your dog eats a mushroom or you're out walking around, they eat anything off the ground uh, that's a mushroom, the odds are it's probably not healthy. It will definitely cause GI upset, but mushrooms can also cause dysphoria, uh, can cause seizures. They can actually cause a lot of bad problems. So those dogs that eat mushrooms better be safe and sorry. Bring them in. Onion. Oh, yeah. I think you're not supposed to let them have onions. No. No. No to the onions. Onions can be bad. More sensitive with cats than dogs. Um, they It does affect the hemoglobin molecule in blood. It causes it not to be able to hold as much oxygen. Uh, it could turn blood literally a brown color. Uh, that's called methemoglobinemia. Uh, dogs would have to eat a ton of it to have a problem. Cat would be way more sensitive. Garlic, same thing. Same class, same compound. Citrus fruit. Orange. Yeah, fine. Yes, my dog loves little oranges. Those little halos. Mm-hmm. But he's still a little devil. I love the fact that you refer to him as your dog, even though he's our dog. He's my dog. It's our dog. 
He's my dog. I was with you when we got him. We. But he spends more time with me. He likes me more. He's my assistant. He pays attention to me, unlike you. I pay his bills. I pay yours. <laughs> They're chock full of vitamin C, but are they healthy? Oranges. Fine. Uh, theoretically, the orange peel can be it has citric acid and can cause an irritation. But you have to eat a lot of oranges to get in that. I've never seen them want to eat that many oranges, if any. Here's another tricky one. Peaches. Oh, it's tricky. I guess you're giving me a hint. Yes. I'm going to say yes. Pit skin, bad flesh, good? Same problem, pit. The pit's bad. Peach itself, the fruit's not so bad, so. Pears. That's all right. It is indeed. Pears, I think, okay. Peas. Yes. That's good. Totally fine. Yeah, no problem with peas. Pineapple. I think pineapples are fine. Yes. Pineapple's fine. We'll use it actually in rabbits to help digest or break up hairballs in the stomach. But if you eat a large hunk of pineapple, it's a good chance something's going to get stuck in the intestine somewhere. Dogs don't always chew things thoroughly. Raspberries. Totally fine. I think those are okay. I say yes. I feel good about raspberries. So do these two. Raspberries are fine. Strawberries. Yes. Yep. Yes. Good. You're on fire. Woo. Spinach. Yes. Oh, yeah. They could eat it. Yep. That should be fine. Spinach is good. Tomatoes. Yes. I feed our dog little cherry tomatoes. Not a lot, but like two or three. Not every day. Hmm. I think those are okay. Oh, yeah. I think it's fine. Tomatoes, you got to eat a lot of them. There's a substance in tomatoes that could be toxic, but I think you got to eat like a pound of them to get into trouble. So the odds of seeing that are pretty slim. You would have end up with some of the worst diarrhea problems from eating crazy stuff than you would the other toxicity of it. So here's your last one: chocolate. Tons openly, freely. No, I meant for me. No chocolate. That's a no. We had a bad experience with my beagle before we got together. And you were very helpful at making sure that he was okay. Thank you for that. Chocolate. <laughs> no yeah. chocolate. Yeah, that's not good. Chocolate contains theobromines in it. For dogs, it acts like an amphetamine. So you can get anything from hyperactivity, high blood pressure, to seizures, along with usually bad GI problems and nasty diarrhea. So chocolate can be nasty. Now, of course, the darker the chocolate, the worse it is. Baker's chocolate's very bad, and high levels of uh, just pure cocoa are bad. And that concludes this episode of Can They Eat That? So how'd you do on the quiz? Are there a couple surprises on there for you? Some were a little bit trickier than others, but the big takeaways, the big no-nos are grapes, raisins, chocolate, and of course, mushrooms. And Dr. Liberto also wanted me to pass along that xylitol, that sugar substitute, that is also a big-time no-no. It's found in a lot of candies and cereals, gums, even uh, you can find it in some peanut butters. So be sure to read the ingredients label closely before you share with your furry friend. And if there's a food that you're still curious about and we didn't cover today, let us know. You can always tweet me or find me on Instagram at Chuck Carroll, WLC. That's Carroll with two R's, two L's, and the WLC standing for Weight Loss Champion. The show is at PCRM on Twitter and spelled out on Instagram at 
Physicians Committee. We would love to hear from you, and we'll try to get you an answer. Another great way to keep up with the show, by the way, just subscribe to it. Really, that's all you got to do. Find the exam room by the Physicians Committee on Apple Podcast, on Spotify, or Stitcher. Really, wherever podcast audio is available, that is where you can find us. Simply subscribe and leave a five-star rating if you would be so kind. And before we go, just a reminder that we have an enormous conference coming up July 26th and 27th right here in beautiful Washington, D.C. The International Conference on Nutrition and Medicine featuring a virtual who's who of heavy hitters in the plant-based community. All of them gathering to share the most recent findings on lifestyle medicine. Going to be taking a closer look at the link between the rising rate of obesity and disease and what's on our plate. Talking about preventative medicine. Talking about not just treating cancer or heart disease or diabetes, but actually lowering the risk of developing it in the first place. Treating the root cause instead of the symptom. Dr. Neil Barnard, he's going to be speaking there. Dr. Dean Ornish, he's going to be there. Dr. Lee Frame, a former guest on the exam room, will also be there presenting. And I love the title of her presentation. Get this. Nutrition and the Gut Microbiome. Where we are now and where we're going. Really cool fun and important event and you can get a full list of speakers and register by visiting pcrm.org icnm and i'm also going to be there recording live episodes of the exam room right there as well so it would be great if you would stop by and say hi just go ahead and register right now pcrm.org icnm i hope that you found this week's show interesting It's one that a lot of us have been wondering about for a while, and hopefully now you have the answers that you've been looking for. But if you're still curious about a thing or two, that's okay. Don't hesitate to reach out and ask. My thanks again to the vegan vet, Dr. Armighty May, as well as my colleagues, Anne-Marie Vestano, Dania Depa, and Natalie Hardcastle, and of course, my wonderful wife, Julie. And many thanks to you, too. Thank you for being here. For everyone here at the Physicians Committee, I am the weight loss champion, Chuck Carroll. Thanks again so much for listening. And remember, keep it plant-based. <laughs>